We have four scripture readings. First is Isaiah 55, 1 through 3. Come, all who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen. Listen to me and eat what is good, and you will delight in the richest affair. Give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful love promised to David. Psalm 63, verse 1. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. Deuteronomy 8, verses 2 and 3. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord." In Matthew 5, verse 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Thank you, Leanne. Good morning, everyone. If we haven't met, I'm Rob, and I'm so excited for this new series. How many of you can relate to that video or used to be able to relate to that video? Oh, just a few, few hands that went up there, but uh, there were some that were a little bit more like this. Like, maybe, but I don't know if I want to say they are. Uh, I may have used dry shampoo in the car before. Um, but regardless of what your home looks like, I really believe that Jesus wants to speak some life, some hope, and some encouragement and challenge into each of us this series. Specifically, we're looking at four ways that we can experience happy in our home. And when I say happy, I'm talking about the way that Jesus talked about using the word happy. Um, he used it in a very famous speech on a hillside uh, called the Sermon on the Mount when he started by, it's in Matthew, it's in Luke, it might be a few other places, but I think those two, and he says, blessed are those who. It's the same word uh, in Hebrew that's ashray, if you want to learn Hebrew this morning. It means blessed or happy, ashray, and it's in Psalm 1. Psalm 1 says, happy are those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or take the path that sinners tread or sit at the seat of scoffers. But their delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law they meditate day and night. So this word blessed or happy, uh, sometimes when we use the word happy, let's be honest, we don't use it in the way it means to be said. And if you're not sure how this is, just go on Instagram and hashtag blessed, and you'll find all sorts of things that may not mean blessed. And likewise, when we use the word happy, uh, I think we sometimes are talking about something that's like just out of reach. It's elusive. We're grasping at this thing that we think when we get there, once we keep chasing it, if we keep hoping for it, then when we get it, we'll, ah, we'll experience this euphoria. Uh, it reminds me of 
Uh, a few months ago, I was sitting with an engaged couple, and I asked them what they wanted of their future marriage, like what they wanted their future marriage to be like. Don't worry, they're not here today. Um, and they said, we just want to be happy, and, and we want to make each other happy, which is adorable, right? Like, Yeah. But what's really interesting is when you talk to couples who've been married 40, 50, or 60 years, they don't talk about chasing happiness or having this goal to make the other person happy. They actually talk about pursuing something else and happiness was just a result of it. Now, I want you to think about some of the people who live near you, around you, or maybe even your home. And would you describe their homes as happy? Again, in the way that Jesus talked about it. Because I think about some of the families I know, and maybe their home is happy, but one of them, it's complicated. The older kids live at mom's house Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. On Thursday, they go to dad's house. Um, and then they switch every other weekend. But on the weekends that are moms, then they also go to dads on Tuesdays as well as Thursdays, which, again, just sounds really complicated. Um, another home that I'm thinking of is probably not happy. It's more struggling. Uh, communication is strained. Expectations in marriage and parenting, and those realities are just so much harder than they ever thought. Another home, again, might be happy, but it's the word that's coming to mind is tight. Like paycheck to paycheck tight. Uh, the husband's been out of work for about two years, and he's just struggling to find a job. And when you add to, you know, whatever they are in, in the people around you, think about the challenges of parenting today or single parenting or blended families or financial debt or education, expectations, and expenses, or just simply cell phone, social media, and all those te technological advances that are supposed to make our lives simpler, that really don't <laughs> always do that. And happy home is something that seems really elusive. And yet, I think in the midst of all this, Jesus does offer wisdom and guidance for us to not just have a Christian home, but with the Holy Spirit's help to have a Christ-centered home. Now, if you're here and you're like, well, I live alone, or I don't even own a home, or I don't have a family, I think there's still amazing things that Jesus talks about here that's applicable to all of life, maybe to a future family, but certainly to current relationships. And we're going to talk about what it means to have pure hearts, what it means to be peacemakers rather than takers, and to understand what it means to prepare for persecution. Because Jesus does say, blessed are the persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And today we're looking at the statement from Matthew 5, 6 that Leanne read, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. So I want you to think about the last time you were truly hungry really, really thirsty. You know, like that back of your throat scratching, where your lips are cracked, where 
just about anything could go into your mouth because it's so dry. See, when we look at stories in the Bible, many of them have multiple layers. Meaning, when, for example, in John 9, when Jesus is, comes up to an, and encounters a blind person and heals them, he actually physically can see. But he also interacts with these religious leaders who can't see. So there's a physical sight in the story, but there's also this spiritual sight in the story. Can you see who Jesus is? That's a multiple-layered story. Or uh, Leanne read from Deuteronomy, when Moses, the leader who brought the Israelites out of slavery through the wilderness and to the edge of the promised land, when he's talking to them about eating and drinking and God humbling them and teaching them, he's talking about a physical hunger and thirst, but he's also talking about a spiritual dependence, learning to trust and rely on God and on every word that comes out of his mouth. So when Jesus goes into the wilderness after his baptism filled with the spirit, and then it says he fasted for 40 days and nights and didn't eat or drink anything, I think it's physically talking about food and he, how hungry and thirsty he would be. But then he has these encounters and conversations with this accuser, the Satan. And in that moment, there's also this element of physical and spiritual nourishment. So Jesus was able to get right what the Israelites couldn't get right in the wilderness. Again, a multi-layered meaning. So here we have this, why did I say all that? Because here we have this story in Isaiah 55 where there's a multiple layered meaning. So in order to, to understand the meaning, I think we have to first see that what physically was going on. So there's this picture of at the time that Isaiah was prophesying or speaking truth to the people, Israel and Judah were these split, divided kingdoms where they had these kings and queen, or kings that would rule them but they also lived in a real place. So they had physical world powers that were near them. Egypt was still a pretty strong power on the southeast side. And Assyria is this rapidly, well, as rapidly as 700 BC is, rapidly expanding empire where every year they went a little further and their armies would go out, they would conquer, and then they would bring engineers and settlers, and they would build up this place, and then they would go further. And so over a period of years and years and years, several hundred years actually, they're moving and expanding, but they're getting closer and closer to Israel. Now, I'm not trying to make a political statement here, but think about this caravan of refugees that we keep hearing about that is coming up from Latin America and the alarm that that's causing. It's not a world power. And, it, and people in America definitely have power. And yet there's some alarm there. Now here is a world power who has all the power. So what might be Israel and Judah's response? Well, they have kings. They have leaders, so they do what leaders do. Isaiah would say, trust and rely on God. Come to the waters of his life and wisdom. Let us, let us eat and drink God's word. 
But these leaders do what politically popular, savvy leaders do. The kings of Israel, for sure, and some of the kings of Judah, they seek foreign alliances. Maybe we need to get the tribes around us to unite with us to mount an attack against our enemies. They, people who've been enemies in the past, they find daughters of the kings, they take them as wives to again, again cr- try and create alliances. And they tax the people, sometimes heavily, to create money for stronger borders and bigger armies. They might be hungry and thirsty for popularity. They might be hungry and thirsty for survival. And it's into that context, that situation, that Isaiah speaks this challenge and invitation. And I think it's actually a very similar challenge and invitation to each of us. First, the invitation is, come, all who are thirsty, Come to the waters. Think about what waters do. I mean, waters bring life. Too much water can bring death. For sure floods, but there's renewal in waters. Come to the waters. You who have no money, come, buy, and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost which kind of should make you go, huh? Because he's asking people to buy stuff, but he's calling people who don't have any money. In one sense, it's this invitation to all, come, come all who are thirsty. So I get this picture of, you know, it was Joe Maurer night last night at the Twins game. I didn't go, but I heard it was. And so you got to picture this beautiful stadium and some, you know, person that's selling their wares, you know, peanuts, get your peanuts, beer, cold beer. Maybe you've been at one of these games. And if you're thirsty, you're like, oh, sweet Jesus. Like these people are walking right up to me. All I have to do is hand them cash and they just deliver stuff right to my seat. It's beautiful. But if you're trying to watch the game and you're not thirsty or hungry, you're like, get down in front. I am trying to watch. Get. That's where the analogy kind of falls short because in those situations, you've had to already pay for a ticket and then you have to have money to which to buy the items. And yet the prophet is saying, all and all who are thirsty, but all who have no money. Which I take to mean you can't buy it, you can't barter for it, or you can't bribe someone for it. Somehow you have to reach out and receive this that does not have a price tag, and it didn't matter because you couldn't pay for it anyway. We have to have this kind of starving soul or destitute spirit. So what are you thirsty for? Starving soul and destitute spirit. There's there's poor and then there's destitute. We were with some friends last week, dear friends. They're here today, Allison and Larry Smoke, their kids, Eva, Annie, Anna, Uh, Aaliyah and Isaiah, which is a mouthful, but they're just so darn cute. And they are missionaries in Honduras. And um, some of you know Colin Fleming and Mark Stoke. And those two, plus me, and about a dozen other people from a couple different churches. Uh, Ten years ago, we met 
um, them in Honduras and did a water project called Agua Viva. Uh, Allison and Larry have been a part of over 40 water projects to the people of Honduras. When I think about being hungry and thirsty, I think about these people. Because there are poor in Honduras, and poor in Honduras are actually like middle class, meaning they make a few dollars a week, sometimes they can buy a Coke, they should just buy one each week because otherwise their family won't get enough food, but they can, they can sometimes even send money to their, their family in rural villages. They might even have an apartment, they might even have a bike or a motorcycle, but these are the poor of Honduras. But then there's the destitute. The destitute in Honduras live in these rural places, and uh, if they have shoes, they're dollar store flip-flops. Think about digging a trench for water in dollar store flip-flops. They have one set of clothes, maybe two. Their house is made of mud and sticks or branches, um, and Anywhere from a quarter to a half of the house can get washed away during the rainy season. That's just part of life. And if they're fortunate, they get tortillas, corn tortillas and beans, or corn tortillas and rice, or just beans and rice twice a day, maybe usually once a day. And then every once in a great while, chicken, eggs, or fish. Am I, am I close? That's the destitute. So when we showed up in the village of Las Chilcas de San Ramon, uh, there's a picture of me meeting some of the children there. They had a small watering hole um, kind of around the 80 homes that were there. The small water hole fed the stray dogs, the couple of cattle, and all the families. There was usually stuff in it. Sometimes it had to be strained. It always had to be boiled in order to make it safe. And people could get two five-gallon buckets of water a day for everything. When I think about hungry and thirsty, I think about these really beautiful, really poor, really thirsty people. So the village actually raised money, worked with Larry, raised money, secured a water source to then have it gravity fed into uh, part of his Honduran team has an concrete tank uh, or water tower holding bin, and then we dug, I think, two miles of PVC pipe to the village. And, and then from going to the village, it would go into every home that supplied at least one person for the project. They had about a month of work before and about a month of work after for the week we were there. My partner was Jesus, Jesus, um, real person because my first two quit. He did do his digging in flip-flops, and he actually walked six miles at, in four in the morning and at eight at night in the five days we were together so that his cousins could have a spigot and so that if he ever moved to the village, he could have a spigot. What are you thirsty for? It was also, as a side note, which isn't really a side note, it was also on that project that I heard the unmistakable but inaudible voice of God to say, 
it's time to start this church that would become restoration. Because I heard in God's voice, you see these beautiful, thirsty, poor people? Their only hope is me. There's nothing else. It's me or nothing here. But where you live, we have, you have unlimited options. And the people who live near you have unlimited options. You can put your hope, your hunger, your thirst in anything. Anything really but Jesus. So start a place where it's easy to find Jesus for people who are hungry and thirsty for something that satisfies the prophet issues this challenge. Why do you spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? And Jesus, in the same way, says, happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Could it be that our homes are not filled with peace or hope or righteousness because we're hungering and thirsting after the wrong things? Again, I mean no judgment, because some of you with integrity could say, we are hungry for God. We thirst after God. But some of us might say that and really need to go, well, where do we spend the most time or the most money or even the most of our thoughts? So just ask the Holy Spirit in the last seven days, what have I pursued What have I thought about, especially over and over? What have I been hungry for? You might say, I've been hungry for a day off because I've worked a ton. You might even say it like this. I've worked really hard all week. I just want to have two days where I'm not responsible for anything. It's okay. Or I just finished school. I don't want to have responsibilities. I don't want to get graded on stuff. I don't want to have people tell me what to do. And there's nothing wrong with that. But that's very different than I want to stop, rest, and remember God. Some of you might say I've been thirsty for traffic on my social media because my likes went down or my followers went down or my hearts went down. And there's nothing wrong with wanting to have an online influence. Just call it what it is. Or uh, I know some of you, me too, uh, want a better beach body. So, you know, you do the workouts, but like you also realize you can't stop thinking about the five pounds that you want to take off or the five pounds you want to put on. And so your mind has been there. Or there's even a, there's even a class for parents to enroll their kids in to get better at Fortnite. Because when you play the game, if you get out first, then you're like 99th ranked. And some kids were just too depressed about that. Because it's really cool to be in the top five. I don't know personally, but, you know, so that might be what they're hungering and thirsting for. And if I'm honest, I'm ashamed at the number of quarters that I put in a machine when I was 14 years old to see if I could get the high score. Because somehow I thought that that would make me awesome. What are you hungry and thirsty for? Is it something new, new stuff, new place, new job? Maybe it's, maybe it's a win, not just in sports, but in a job or a promotion. Or it's watching your kids win. 
or it's injustice around not getting to watch your kids win. But five-year-old t-ball games are not the time to heckle the other opposing players or parents. Just saying. It's five-year-old t-ball. And here's the reality. It's probably not, it might not even be any of those things. But my guess is if you ask the Holy Spirit, where do I spend my time? Where do I spend my money? Where do I spend my thoughts? God will tell you, because we live in a culture where we have so many options. And it's from that place of invitation and challenge that the prophet gives this reward. Listen to me, he says. Listen and eat what is good, and you will delight in the richest of fare, the richest of foods. Give ear to me and come to me. Listen that you may live. Jesus says it in a very similar way. The outcome of hungering and thirsting for righteousness means that they will be filled. Now, there's certainly a feeling like eating a scrumptious multi-course meal that, you know, has done like 4th of July fireworks in your mouth and is just settling into your stomach where you, like, with all of your being, want to just unbutton the top button and lean back. Like, there's certainly a satisfaction to that. Maybe just for me. But there's also a satisfaction when you maintain your integrity in the face of a temptation or in the face of an opposition. There's a satisfaction of being able to hold your head high or lay it down on the pillow at night and be able to sleep with a clear conscience. That is a satisfaction as well. See, the righteousness that Jesus is talking about here isn't a word he uses very often. He uses it in this statement. He uses it in verse, I think it's 10, when he talks about persecution. And then he uses it again when he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all these things will be added to you. It's a righteousness that means both personal rightness with God, which I think if you've grown up in the church, that's fairly easy to identify, being right with God. But it's also this communal justice or social justice for the world. It's both of those things because righteousness actually in the original language is the same word as justice. So people who are hungering and thirsting for righteousness, they grieve when they're unright with God, when they're not right with God. But they also grieve with the things that are broken in the world or the unjust systems of the world. These people are actually becoming whole people because they're becoming right with God to live whole and holy, but they're also at the same time working and longing and praying for this new heaven and new earth to come. They stand with people who are mistreated or who are oppressed or who are just overlooked. Larry Nelson would be happy to talk to you after about staring in the face of people that are overlooked and how much of Jesus they see. And Jesus said, the poor you will always have with you. They're not satisfied with personal rightness with God by itself, and they're not satisfied with just social justice on its own. They cry out for both. Listen and eat what is good. What is life that brings life? So 
just as we wrap up, I want you to think about what you're eating, and I have a multiple meaning there. What are you ingesting each day? What are you taking in? And it's goodness. It's nutritional value. Is it God's word? Is it nonstop Netflix? Is it chasing an elusive thing in your job? There's really easy, it's really easy to live in a, a thing that we'll just call cultural Christianity, where we can talk about believing in God and go to church, but then actually live like he doesn't really exist. But I want a Christ-centered home. I want a home that, that believes in Jesus and actually lives as if his life, death, and resurrection makes a difference in the world. What are you chewing on each day? Psalm 63.1 says, Oh God, you are my God. Are we personally talking to God every day? I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. What is dry and parched in your life now? What do you just need to call out to God for? It's not about making religious rules because if you make rules without relationship, it will lead to rebellion. I don't recommend it. Right, exactly. Thanks, Simon. No. And if you're like, okay, all right, I get it. I'm supposed to ingest this, so what does it look like? Uh, I, think, I think three things that I, I have seen in my life and that I'm working on that I think come from the text as well. The first is to just involve God in your everyday conversations. Like Saturday night, oh my gosh, did you guys see the amazing sunset? I had to stop my family and go, look out the window. This is beautiful. But I also added like, oh, God's an amazing artist. Simple ways. You can include God. You can thank him for the good stuff. Yes, at meals and other times. You can talk to him about the bad stuff. But then you can actually ask him for his help in the hard stuff. So my wife and I regularly ask her kids when they're sharing something hard, have you talked to God about it? God is loving and approachable and good, and he cares. So sometimes it's just showing that. It's allowing questions that are hard to ask and hard to answer and letting them just sit sometimes. And I'll tell you one that's really just a double-edged sword for me is like this device that's my communicator, my calendar, and often my Bible. So since I think February, I've been making sure that if my phone is the first thing I pick up, then the first app that I go on is my Bible. And oftentimes, my kids don't know if I'm playing a game or just looking at something or reading the Bible, but I know. And I think my heart is different when I open God's word first. 
Uh, the second, I would say, is to show up at church and show up all the time. Now, if we had four services and we had offerings every day of the week for you, I probably wouldn't say it that way, but we don't. So when you're in town, show up. And yes, I truly believe that faith is bigger than church or this church, but Jesus loves when we are connected not only to the Father, but to the Father's children. And that's a place where we can be together. We provide all kinds of people, younger, older, faster, or slower. And if you're young, you need older people who love you for you because your parents won't always love you for you. And these people can become your friends. Love you all the time, no matter what. A part of your faith. Not the whole thing, but a strong part. And the last thing I would say is making and make seeking and serving God together fun. Uh, Ava Rasmussen just did this. She, ha- she turned 12 this week. She gave me permission to share the story. She's at middle school group. She turned 12 on Thursday. She invited uh, 15, 16, 15, 15 of her friends and some of their parents. So she had like a crew of 26 people, which sometimes I'm just like, that's instant fun if you're an extrovert. <sighs> She invited them all to feed my starving children. And she's like, don't give me presents, but instead, if you do want to get me something, would you give a donation to feed my starving children? She said, we fed, we made 21 boxes. We fed 54 people for a year. She was thrilled. Like, you could see the excitement dripping off her face. And I'm like, Ava, can I share that story? Because you just made seeking and serving God fun. My kids have been spending hours and hours and weeks on VBS. They're having fun most of the time. They're having fun. I mean, I was singing one of the songs this morning in the shower and on the way here, and the radio wasn't even on, so. I know. Male vocalist of the year, 12 years running in my car. It's really, doesn't have to be hard. God cares about you wherever you're at. If you're like, I don't even... I don't even know what righteousness looks like in my life. I would have so much to clean up before I could ever come and say I'm hungry. Then, man, could I just invite you to get to know Jesus because he doesn't make those requirements. So as the band comes up and as you just take a moment and say, Holy Spirit, really, truly, what am I hungry for? What am I thirsty for? Would you let the Holy Spirit speak to you? Because the Holy Spirit rarely speaks words of condemnation. He so often speaks words of life. God, you tell us that we are to come, we're to listen, and we're to seek. We're to call on you. So God, we do, we come, and we've listened. Help us to keep listening. Help my words to fade away. Help your words to stay, God. Help us to come listen and receive. God, help us to understand where we are poor, where we have no money, where, but we can buy and eat. God, show us where we need to include you in our conversations. God, where, show us where it's dry and parched, where we need you. 
where maybe we need others, your church, to come around us. God, and show us where we need to seek and serve you with joy. Thank you for the opportunities that you put in front of us. Help us to be people who dive into them. God, rather than worrying about behaviors in our home, let us worry about hearts that are in our home and hearts that hunger for you. And God, for those of us who feel like we are not even at a place where we can even approach the word righteous or let alone a righteous God, let us see that Jesus, you've made the way, that you've done all the work, that you've paid the price, that you've given your life for us so that we can be made right with you and right with God. That all we need to do, like Isaiah says, is receive. Not with our works, but with your work. And God, as we receive, let us also soak in the spirit and dine in the presence of you. You will fill us up and be satisfied and let that satisfaction come through our souls and our lives in ways that bring life to others. In Jesus' name, amen.